Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. And this is one of those chapters in the Bible that just stands out among the entire thing. If you had to name uh, or pick out maybe just like three or four or five chapters of the whole book of Isaiah, this is one of the ones you'd probably pick. If you had to pick out, you know, maybe a dozen chapters of the whole, the whole Old Testament, uh, this is one that you would probably pick. I mean, it's, it's really something here. This is where you've got the the seraphim with their their three pairs of wings flying around in the heavenly throne room of God. You've got this vision. I mean, this is where you get the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts that we sing in church. That's where this thing comes from. Uh, just so many things going on here, both in terms of the vision that, that Isaiah has and then also just the message that he's given, the the kind of, I suppose, mandate, you might say, the commissioning that God gives him, gives to the prophet. Just really very interesting. In some ways, it feels like this should have been the introduction to Isaiah, but it's in chapter six. So there's lots of questions around it, though. You know, like, how does this thing fit in its context? It's amazing. It's majestic. Um, but are we, are we catching all the meaning here? So let's dig into it today. And joining us, we have Pastor Bron Campbell, pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Welcome, brother. So good to have you on, and what, what a treat. You get Isaiah 6 here with me. Looking forward to this. Most definitely. This is uh, a highlight chapter, like you were saying before, and uh, kind of the initial reaction when, when hearing you're doing that is, is Isaiah's, woe is me. But uh, we'll do. We'll get through it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that's um. It's it's funny, right? There is <clears throat> there is that line. Woe, woe is me, for I am lost. And uh, it's it, that's one of those lines. I, I remember um, I, I had seminary professors who who tried to help us understand that 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 meant probably uh, was well, maybe maybe sound a little stronger and less comical maybe in the original Hebrew, but <laughs> whole, whole lot more colorful, I think. <laughs> probably, probably, but uh, so so good to have you with us. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those chapters that I, I, there's many parts that are. It's not maybe like Isaiah five, like we had yesterday. This is one I think that a lot of people are going to feel at least part of it is very familiar. This is a part that uh, seems to pop up in a lot of places in our tradition. Most definitely. Uh, we have, like you were saying before, so many things that pop up, not just in the liturgy, but just in our life together, and uh, the understanding of, of who God is, and, and uh, by comparison, who we are not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was, I was actually just thinking, when, when does this, this is, when does this pop up in the, I mean, I was just saying, of course, it comes up in the liturgy, but when in the lectionary does this pop up? It's um, usually I Holy Trinity, just, I think, is. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Trinity, and then also, um, also an Epiphany too. So there's like, I mean, that's that's actually you know significant. That I mean, it's going to be on a big holiday like like Trinity, um, and then also you're going to get it. Uh, I mean, so it's like almost a reading. Even if you are on the three year lectionary, you're going to get it almost every year still, and and then you're also just going to hear it like we were saying, just again, it just you know, in many ways, every Sunday potentially in different different forms. So. Uh, and I think the other side of it too is, don't you get this in a lot of hymns? The the language, right? The you know, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. I mean, that's that's in at least two that I can think of. Oh, most definitely, yeah. 
you've got yeah. a lot of a lot of the the themes that are in here uh you know as is the case with a lot of uh isaiah's uh writing is is popping up elsewhere in the scriptures a lot in the new testament right as uh i'm sure you guys have talked about in the the past few uh few days going through isaiah's uh kind of thought of as the fifth gospel right yep yep that's right that's right yeah i forget who it was that used that term but yeah that's a uh... That is a, a popular designation. You see it just, uh, I mean, I don't know, the whole, the whole matter of Scripture, right, just in this one book. Of course, the one book is gigantic, um, but here we are, chapter 6 of 66, so making good progress. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, let's go ahead and dig into it here. And as we do, would you open us up with a prayer, both for us and for everyone listening today? Most definitely. Let's pray. God of grace, we thank you that you have called us to be your people in Christ, that you have washed us clean, that you have cleansed away our sin by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless this discussion this morning as we dive into your word, as we come to better understand Isaiah's call and your call for us as your people. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's let's take a look here at just maybe... Uh, the first, the first three verses is going to give us a lot already, um, but we can look at these first three verses and kind of ask some questions like, okay, now, so how does this relate to the first five chapters um, where we're getting this now? We do have a time marker, so that's that's an interesting thing to consider. Um, and then, of course, uh, what you get in verse three, that holy, holy, holy. So that'll give us uh, a lot to chew on just for those first three verses. So here we yeah. go in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So, yeah, a lot of things going on here. Let's just take the first here. It says here, in the year that King Uzziah died. Um, so we're actually getting a, a time marker, and we, we haven't been getting that really clearly up till now. Um, everything is kind of mentioned, uh, you know, I guess in chapter one, you had all four of the kings that were going on and reigning during the lifetime and activity of Isaiah but you have never had anything so specific. So why why do you think it's important here that we have a specific time frame and that we're getting this now after five chapters already? Well, I guess you've got a couple of different things going on that you were mentioning earlier. Well, you, where's this fit in the, the context of the chapters that have come before and what comes after? And uh, really here in Isaiah 6, we see a, um, uh, a, a hinge point because everything that's come before it chapters one through five has been um, a a general indictment against Judah, against God's people. Um, and when we see it right here in the setting of uh, about 740 BC for the call with uh, the year of King Uzziah's death, uh, it's coming to the close of a period of uh, particular prosperity for the people. Uh, you have in Uzziah a king that uh, was generally successful in, in all things. And that expansion of territory, they had a lot of security against their enemies around them. Um, so the, the mindset of the people that I think is something that maybe we can be thinking about as well is uh, you, when, you, when you have material uh, prosperity, 
you start to think less and less about your dependence on God. And so the people in there, as we've seen over the past five chapters, kind of uh, where the, the heart of the people is at, this is kind of uh, setting it into a chronological setting where you've got um, this prosperity, and now this is where you're at when you're not looking at God as your hope, but looking at your your king. So the king also, in the towards the end of his reign, um, was uh, due to pride, struck with his uh, struck with leprosy, and uh, kind of had a, a falling out there. But now that he's dead, if the king was your hope, if the king was your security, where's your hope going to come from? And now, mm-hmm. timing with God giving the call to Isaiah, um, it d- does not seem to be uh, coincidental. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's um. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a couple things there. The call of Isaiah, right? I mean, this this is something that we can't miss. It's, I mean, just on a basic level. So this is Isaiah in many ways beginning his activity, and so everything that's come up till this point, like you said is has been kind of i think you use the phrase general indictment yeah and, and i think that makes a lot of sense kind of framing it that way like it's almost as if the first five chapters have been almost like an introduction and summary of what isaiah is up to um but here we're actually going to get like you were saying like this this chronological progression like you know here in chapter six you know in the year that king Uzziah died i saw the Lord. I mean, so he's talking first person in a in a narrative sense, which is a little bit different from before. Before, you know, he was saying, well, you know, like I said this or I, I say that um, or, you know, I mean, let me sing of my beloved like we saw in the last chapter. But but this is actually narrating things kind of like in a I don't, I don't know, like a, a biographical sense or almost like, you know, this is like something he wrote down in his journal or something. And sure, you get yeah, that. It's, yeah. 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 And you see that in like chapter seven, where it's going to be like in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, um, and, and more of this, like, you know, go out and meet Ahaz. And then he's like, okay. And then, then I went. And so uh, there's a really big shift just in the whole style here. So, um, like you were saying that to us then helps us to see, I, I think what you were getting at just kind of seeing is, okay, so, huh, those first five chapters that was supposed to prepare us for the theme here. Um, and we should connect that theme to, like you were saying, the event of King Uzziah dying. And, and, and it's, um, you know, I don't think we want to press it too far and say like, oh, like the year he died, like, you, you know, it was like the, the big bust of you know, their economy and it was all falling out. I mean, I think that right, most right. people say that the prosperity continued into Ahaz and Jotham, but maybe this was kind of the worrying um you know, like a canary in the coal mine, so to speak, that this was this was the sign that, uh-oh, this isn't going to last, is it? Certainly. And that that's, um, again, that prologue or preface is kind of putting uh, a more of a, a spotlight on the hearts of the people in terms of where they have come. And it's kind of looking ahead, as I was saying before, is where you've got the, now that Uzziah's gone, and then you know, Jotham, who we don't really hear much about at all, uh, it's right. where kind of things pick up with Ahaz, his son. Um, you've got uh, this looking ahead, this time of transition um, that's that's going to be coming. And it, certainly, over the next decades, there's going to be a whole lot of transition, as as God uh, makes clear. Right, right. No, no, that, that, that's true. And it's um, we got to you know, it, it got it's hard to keep it straight. Like you were saying, sometimes you know we have kings like Jotham that. 
I mean, we know he's there, but we <laughs> there's very little that's said about him, right? Um, it's just that what you know he's listed there, um, you know, and he'll be named, uh, but it's not necessarily like we are getting a full, um, you know, play by play kind of historical account, right? The purpose is not that we would you know be able to reconstruct Israel's history. This is getting at the heart of the matter, the heart of the people, what God's doing among them. Um, so, yeah, so in those in those first five chapters we had, you know, it was looking at things from the perspective of Hezekiah when, you know, the Assyrians had already come through. Um, in chapters two to five, we're looking at that time, um, it seems, during um, the reigns of, of Jotham and Ahaz when things are about to get bad. But all that was just to prepare us so that now when we actually have a real start here in Isaiah 6, which is kind of like, you know, Isaiah is like a Genesis here, um, we can actually like be attuned to this. And so as we're attuned now, we're like, okay, we're ready. We, we understand what, what Isaiah's purpose is. The first thing that we get is a very glorious vision, right? I mean, like for, you know, I mean, Isaiah's prompted, like, I guess, prepared us right for a lot of gloom and doom um like okay, like isaiah is the prophet of just everything's gonna burn is what maybe what we're thinking about um and yet the the very first thing we get is like a a, a view of seraphim and well, the, yeah, the have, lord have, sitting on a throne this is this glorious in the in the really full sense of that word glorious vision uh, an overwhelming vision, because if, if Isaiah is starting and saying that I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, that doesn't happen. You know, you look through the life of, of God's people, and any time there is that kind of uh, theophany, the appearance of God, it's, it's usually um, people are, are overwhelmed, as we're going to see uh, is the case with Isaiah just in a, a few verses here. But um, you know, where is he? Where is, we have uh, the, the title for the Lord here in, in the Hebrews, the uh, Adonai, the the supreme one, the uh, the one who's the ruler over all, and he's mm-hmm. elevated. And uh, we, you know, skipping down a little bit in, in verse one, it's it, the context being the temple. Whether it's Isaiah's in the the temple in Jerusalem, or whether he is in the vision in the temple, or in the right. divine temple, we're seeing kind of that parallel between the earthly and the the divine. Uh, this this throne uh, and the the temple, you know, the word that's used there too, kind of connects with the palace, right? So the, yes. uh, the one who's enthroned, the one who's in charge the, of everything, uh, in the palace, in in the royal place, in uh, upon the throne, that he's this high and lifted up is a thing that it echoes throughout Isaiah's. Uh, he, he uses mm-hmm. that a lot. Um, so here we have that this vision kind of putting a stamp on Isaiah and, and the rest of his ministry with who God is and, and how um, he, he stands above uh, his creation, which we'll, we'll get to when we uh, start talking about verse 3. Um, so the, the other point there with the, the train of his robe or the hem of his robe, uh, mm-hmm. simple, I think that's a really cool thing to think about, too, because what's the description we get of God? We don't get, we don't see God's face. We don't see anything. Mm, right. The highest, our, the highest our view goes is to his, the, the hem of his robe, you know, which is, you know, right. God filling the temple and it's, it's, it's completely filling his space, but we can't process anything 
you know, higher than that. that. Yeah. <laughs> right. You yeah, know, it's like in numbers, right? When, you know, we, um, or, or I guess actually, well, I mean, it is, it is like what you see in numbers, but actually what I'm thinking about now is like when you go back to Exodus and they go up onto the temple, uh, onto the temple, onto Mount Sinai to go and ratify the covenant. And the description is of his feet. You know, right. they're, not they're even with right. God. It's the pavement underneath his feet. That's right. That's right. It's just what's under his feet, right? That's all we're talking about. There's just there's just no mention of anything higher than that, right? It's the same sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. So that's that's the setting in the larger context of of people's exposure to God, experience of the divine presence. Is okay. This we are we are unable to to comprehend, or uh, which is you know as we get farther into. Um, Isaiah's reaction here, it, it makes sense, is that, okay, this is, this is the limit of our uh, ability to interact, is just to, to see right. the feet uh, in, from, the, from the mortal perspective. Right. So, well, uh, should, we, should we blaze on verse two here? We 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 should. Well, hang, and I'm thinking, you know, so we we've kind of set this up actually pretty effectively here. So we we read verse we read verse three, right? And so we asked the question, like, well, this sounds like you know pretty awesome, right? You know, heavenly vision, um, you know. But hey, we, we were kind of getting set up to expect, uh, you know, fire and brimstone and something scary here, right? But I I think we've kind of already tipped our hand here. This is actually already scary. Um, this is this is oh, yeah. already a reason for Isaiah to be freaking out. Like we're, we're talking about a glorious vision, right? And like, well, I mean, like, what did what did we read earlier, right? We read about the glory of the Lord coming and destroying everything. Glory is thought of as the scary, fiery, destructive presence of God and His judgment. So, you know, a glorious vision is something you want to like watch out. Uh, for so mm-hmm. I mean it, 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 it's perhaps um, a fitting to almost just go ahead and read verses four through seven because otherwise you kind of misread the holy 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 right sure yeah yeah let's, well, let's, let's, let's do it okay so let's go ahead we'll read verses four to seven and then maybe this will help us read verse three rightly so and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So, so yeah, so as we've been saying, you know, there's this vision of glory, which is just alarming to Isaiah. Isaiah is scared, and he thinks he's going to die, is the, the kind of basic executive summary here. Pretty much. Uh, that's a, a succinct way to put it. Um, See, so, you know, continuing from uh, from verse 1, right, where we've got Isaiah's glimpse of, of God's presence there, we then shift to the um, around, kind of, if you imagine that... Uh, the, the Lord is sitting on this throne, high, elevated. Around him are these seraphim, these creatures, um, who a majestic name is seraphim. It, you come from the Hebrew for the for the the burning ones, the fiery ones, mm-hmm. uh, kind of right. like the honor guard, right? So that they're not like elevated above God in the sense that you know they're they're higher in authority. But if they're like standing and God is seated, kind of you can kind of get that that picture. Um, 
but the this glimpse of the seraphim with the six wings of um, the wings themselves, you know, you've got a, an image of the uh, power and mystery that's going on, but covering their uh, covering their face, covering their their feet, which is kind of it uh, could be, you know, euphemism for their lower parts of their body. Right, just, right. In, in, the, in that divine presence, they are, even though they are these majestic creatures, they uh, can do nothing but be be modest. Um, well, modest in, in the sense of covering the feet, but also fearful themselves by covering their face. I mean, even even they aren't supposed to look directly on God. And if the seraphim can't look directly on God, I mean, what does that say about us? Yeah, they're, and they're, they're they're part of creation, right? So that you know, they they are subordinate to the Creator. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, right. So they're showing this this reverence and this fearful reverence. You know, the the words are always connected in the biblical tradition. And so, you know, even they're afraid. And so when they're saying "Holy, holy, holy" is the Lord of Hosts, just just saying that, right? The the response of like it says there in verse four the foundations of the thresh, thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, so just by saying this just by invoking God's name everything's shaking, and filling with smoke. I mean it it is this uh, vision of here's God's glory and that is a scary scary thing, and so as we're singing this um, in church. Right. And, you know, it's it's I guess sometimes we think to ourselves, isn't it just awesome that I'm singing this because I'm singing this like this is the song of the angels. This is the song of the seraphim. Right. And like it's it's almost like, hey, look at me. I'm singing like an angel song and I'm like an angel. And it's like I'm in the heavenly temple and we can kind of, I suppose, have a very. Oh, I don't know, a somewhat maybe even saccharine view of glory that it's like, oh, this is so nice. Right. But I mean, the, the view here is like, whoa, you, you really want to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, because if you say that things are going to start shaking. Um, you know, there's going to be smoke, there's going to be fire, and we're going to have to be confronted with the reality of our own sin because we can't stand around and have God show up like this. Very much so. And look at what they're saying, too, that I mean, the holy, holy, holy in and of itself. So the, the holy, even just saying at one time, is um, you know, coming from uh, the, the sense of something that is being uh, set apart, something that is separate, something that is distinct, right? So right. you've got that. And then in Hebrew, when you repeat something, it's for emphasis. You've got, so this is the, the holier thing would be the holy, holy thing, right? And you've mm-hmm. got, if it's holy, 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 repeating something three times in Hebrews, it's saying it's the, it's the ultimate of that. It is the, it is the holiest, it is the most distinct, the most set-apart thing. And this, this, right. is, this is who God is. He is completely distinct from his creation. There is, there is none like him. And then you, you link it straight to that specific title there, um, the, the Lord of Hosts, you usually have it in English, or um, right. the way that, uh, my, uh, one of my Hebrew profs uh, taught me to think about it is uh, it's kind of like General Yahweh, the commander of the armies of heaven. <laughs> so hey, the, was that Professor Bartelt? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it might have been Lessing, but... Uh, Oh yeah, maybe. Oh no, maybe that was blessing. That's right. But yeah, no. I mean, that that's we've we've seen that before. The word literally means of armies, right? And so, uh, right. yeah, yeah, no. So Gen- General Yahweh is is not a bad way of looking at it. it it's um, it's interesting because it's kind of notoriously a challenging thing to translate. Just um, 
in terms of, well, you see this in how we have it in the divine service, right? In, in settings one and two, they just kind of translate the meaning um, to try to like just make it very transparent and you get God of power and might. Um, and so that's what you get that you think of the musical saying, oh, God of power and might, <laughs> heaven and, and so on. Um, and in settings three and four, you just there's just no attempt to even translate it. It's just like we're just going to just throw out Hebrew. And so it just says Lord God of Sabaoth, um, which, you know, is something that you you always have to have a teaching moment there because you, you, people read that and they're like, so hang on, Sabaoth. Is that like a weird way of saying Sabbath? Yeah. Well, not quite. But um, we didn't go into a break, actually, but we, we're going to keep talking about this. But just hold that thought, everybody. We're looking at holy, holy, holy. We haven't even talked about the name for that yet, but we will get there. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 6 here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Pastor Ken Bomberger, join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. hardened ranch hand bears wounds from the past. As hard as I might try, there are people I cannot forgive. But can he overcome his bitterness? Your memory of your pain is greater than the memory of your deliverance. To protect the son of his best friend. I will give my life to save yours. When Quicksand threatens to kill him. Don't do this. Quicksand, the exciting new audio drama on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology. We are Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, and I'm joined today by our guest, Pastor Bon Campbell, pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. We're looking at Isaiah 6, and we were just looking, I mean, really right here, trying to appreciate this. You know, we say it, uh, some of us sometimes will say it every Sunday, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, the song of the angels of the seraphim. And trying to unpack that, we were seeing, you know, you really can't just you know, say, oh, okay, it's glory and it's pretty and isn't that great? Um, you, you know, you picture like the, the golden arches and, you know, uh, the angels on their harps. But this is a moment of, of fear. Everything is shaking. You know, you've got smoke. It's uh, you, you can hardly see God. You can only see the train of his robe. 
um, because anything higher than that is just totally beyond us. So uh, really trying to unpack this here. And um, hey, it looks like we've actually someone's uh, Cheryl looks like is beating me to the punch. I was just going to invite everybody. If you do have a question or comment for us, please use the 1-800 number today. The St. Louis number is wonky, I believe is the technical term I've been told. So please give us a call at 1-800-730-2727 if you've got a question for me or Pastor Campbell. Uh, but we got Cheryl, sister, you have a question for us. Uh, it's sort of a question. Thanks for Sort of a question. My... That's, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I was uh, looking at verse 5 where it says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's right. And I was also looking at uh, the uh, the small catechism and the explanation yes. of the small catechism for the Lord's Prayer, the introduction, and question mm. number 244, how is it possible that we can dare to call God Father? And mm. they uh, give us one of the references, Galatians 4, 4 to 6, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. pretty interesting. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, sir. so something. I, I so I suppose you're pointing out that there's just something kind of parallel there. That there's the idea of you, you can't just look at God and expect to live, and then similarly, you can't just uh, expect to be able to call God Father without it being blasphemy, unless God steps in and does something for you to make you able to do that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, thank, thanks for bringing, bringing that out. Um, I think, pa Pastor Campbell, your, your thoughts on that? Certainly. Well, I, I think it ties into, um, like what we're about to dive into here, what God does to, uh, to deal with Isaiah, because you've got his, the, the seraphim proclaiming um, the whole earth full of God's glory. It will be full of God's glory. Um, there's nothing holding it back. That's, that's that divine presence, right? So if, if God's divine presence is here, he is ultimately holy, and we are ultimately unholy, you know, we're going to be wiped out. We're going to be obliterated, right? Which is <laughs> Isaiah's immediate concern. But mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's not the way that God deals with him, which is, which is the surprise. Right, right. And no, that's right. And so just in the same way that Cheryl was saying, you know, like we, we can't call God Father unless it's in Jesus Christ by the power and mediation of the Spirit. You know, we, we can't, you know, have Isaiah here beholding the Lord God unless God does something to, to prevent him from just being wiped out. Um, and, and that's really something, you know, because I, I feel like, especially, you know, this, I feel like, I don't know, it's an old timey translation. It's probably identical to what the King James says, so we can't fault the ESV too much. Just It's just standing on tradition. But I mean, to our ears, you know, woe is me for I am lost. It sounds like I don't know. Um, maybe worst case scenario, it sounds like he's just kind of being Victorianly modest or something. Like you know, he's just kind of like saying something ritually, like "Woe is me, I am lost." You know, like it's just the polite thing to say or something like that. But I mean, he he really is saying like I'm about to die, and um, want to talk about the word actually that's used there for uh, in a minute. Like you know, the most the most polite over the radio way I think I could say it is like. Like, oh man, I'm dead. You know, like, Pretty oh much. man, I'm, I'm dead meat, right? And, um, 
anything more than that, and it has to like you know increase the rating or something like that. But well, yeah, I, mean, this I, think, is it, the I think a good family friendly way of saying it is uh, expressing game over, man. Yeah, game uh, over, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, GG. This is this is this is the end for me. Um, and and so and so that's what you would expect, like you were saying. But the but the surprise is God's going to come in and do something. And the angel does not come and say, Isaiah, come on, don't be silly, stand up, don't be afraid. Right? You would expect. I mean, you might think that angels often say that. Don't be afraid. What does the angel say? He says, No, you should be afraid. He doesn't. He doesn't say, Isaiah, you're being hard on. You're being hard on yourself. He says, no, Isaiah, you're right. You know, this is Isaiah, too. This is a this is a, perhaps a priest, but he's, I mean, certainly a prophet. We know that for sure. Um, and, and this guy, Isaiah, is unworthy. Isaiah is dead meat. Um, and, and so what does the angel do? He just says, yeah, you're right. You, you, you should just die um, by all account here. But here, we're going to forgive you. Here's this this coal to atone for your sin. Um and just just to think about that, like we are unworthy to 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 say holy, holy, holy. Um, you know, just saying that we we should we should experience some healthy fear as we even utter those words. I can certainly say that I am no Isaiah. So if Isaiah is not worthy, I know that I'm not. Well, and I think you know, let's let's take a minute to to dive into that too, because you know Isaiah's reaction. Uh, that he's lost, he's, he's, he's going to be destroyed because he knows that he can't stand in the presence of God. But uh, if we want to keep tying this into what's come before it in Isaiah, what's going to come after, is that we've got a, a situation where the Isaiah, the speaker, because this is the first time we actually hear Isaiah speak, right? This yeah. is the first time he's speaking his own words, and it's yeah, a recognition right. of, of his brokenness, uh, of, his, of his lostness, his, his doomed state. And that he he recognizes his state, and he says, "Yeah, I'm I'm a part of a people of unclean lips. So we're, we're we're a doomed people, you know, yeah. we, you know, apart from God, apart from His holiness." Um, and he he recognizes the situation, but like you're saying, it's it's God taking action then to redeem. Isaiah doesn't ask to be forgiven. Isaiah doesn't ask for mercy or anything. Right? He just makes a statement. Right. Okay, I'm doomed. Right. And it's yeah, God yeah, that's right. Acting, God acting in grace, taking this this coal. And if if we want to imagine this of the altar and maybe the incense, right? Because we're talking about the the house mm-hmm. being filled with smoke. If it's so, right. you kind of imagine engaging the senses with the uh, with the uh, smell there as well. This uh, coal from the altar being taken and uh, with the, again tied tied to the seraphim of like the burning ones, burning coal, you know. Who knows if it's appearance or what? But yeah, the, yeah, yeah. This burning thing coming and and touching the the lips uh, you know, through which Isaiah is going to be speaking God's word of prophecy, his his word of um, judgment, his word of, of grace. Ultimately, right? Uh, that cleansing is taking place not just superficially for Isaiah, but burning away his sin, his guilt. Um, his his offenses before God, everything that makes him unclean. So that uncleanness being driven out by the the ultimate cleanness that's coming from God, which you know, spoiler alert, we right. see happening in the Gospels as well, right? God's cleanness mm-hmm. driving out mm-hmm. uncleanness. That, that's right by by touch, right? That that curative touch, and yeah, that, and of course that's um that's where we're going, right? That this is not just God's you know showing up in his uh, you know and revealing his presence. He's commissioning Isaiah, and so he's he wants Isaiah to talk, 
for him and to you know be a spokesman that's kind of that fundamental meaning of a prophet someone who's speaking for god and so i mean that's where we're going that if he's going to use his lips to carry the word of god th- these lips have got to be clean um, we're not going to put the the holy things of god in an unclean and profane vessel so there's there's that level of it but there's also i think just like a very human level of uh, it's not as if only people who want to be prophets and pastors should say for I am a man of unclean lips. I was noticing this. Um, the, the word that you have there in verse 5, for I am lost, um, it's interesting. It's a word that, you know, I think we've kind of already said the kind of basic meaning is like, I, I'm destroyed, right? I'm done for. What's interesting, how is this word, like many words in Hebrew for destruction, is a word that also means to silence, um, because there's this, there's a kind of consistent metaphor in Hebrew that to to destroy something is to to make it stop moving and to make it stop. Um, you can almost like picture like a like a guitar string or something. As it's moving, it's making a sound, right? If once you stop it, once you like cut it, it stops moving, it stops vibrating, and if you've cut it, it's it's destroyed. So like they're all kind of going together, and so there's this idea almost that. You know, when he says, you know, I am lost, it, he's saying, you know, God is going to silence me because, I mean, fundamentally, you know, what are we? These human beings are made in the image of God. We're, we're kind of all supposed to be spokespeople for God. We're supposed to all represent God with our words to the rest of creation and be revealing him and praising him and speaking his presence to the rest of creation. And so there's a human level of the lips are kind of the the start of the matter, the, the the start of the problem. It's what we have said is where we have gone astray. And you get this all all the time, right? We looked at this one, um, I forget. Um, I think we we talked about that in connection to the earlier oracle and about how in Proverbs there's that prayer that connects the idea of don't let me be too rich, don't let me be too poor, keep falsehood far away from my lips. The Bible's always bringing in the lips, always bringing in the the speaking, and it's because it's always there. So th- there's a there's a connection not just on the prophetic, but like on the human level for for you and me too to think of like this is our kind of fundamental problem is like the lips are unclean. Definitely, and in, in, with uh, with Isaiah, you know, it's it's um, that cleansing coming to his lips and, and coming uh, to to his heart, his whole being too. Right, is the, that sin having touched not just the lips but touched all of self all of life that's where god's cleanness is is driving out all the uncleanness right yeah no that's right like seeing seeing the mouth is like um in in some ways as a as a part of the center of the person this is like you know the 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 breath of life, right? You know, the breath goes in through your mouth and into your lungs. And then like the thoughts of the heart go through the mouth. So like the the mouth is kind of the, the center of, of all this stuff. And so appreciating it that way. And, and so then I, and I really liked, so you were going, going here with this, you know, seeing there's this, there's this, you know, this burning one seraphim who's taking this burning coal right from the altar and is putting up to his lips to purify him. So how does that intersect with with us? Well, I mean, think about this. We sing this holy, holy, holy. We call this the sanctus because sanctus is the Latin for holy, or um, this is sometimes called the, in, for Greek, the, the trisagion, 
which just means the three holy, because <laughs> he says holy three times. And we were talking about how there's those different settings um, of the divine service. Um, and some of them, it says, you know, God of power and might. Some of them, it says, Lord God of Sabaoth, which is just that Hebrew word of armies. Um, you know, this this way of just confessing that God is yeah, the commander of all these armies of angels, of, of frightening, um, a frightening angle on glory. And when do we when do we sing this in the liturgy, right? And what does that what does that say about what we mean when we say it? Well, we take a look. You know, what is it that's that's going to be put onto our lips, right into exactly our tongues, right? So yeah, so you know, with that is as we receive God's gift, and uh, one of the things that I'd read on it was, uh, you know, like with the the coal, the coal is joined with the fire, and as we receive. God's gift and Holy Communion, the bread and the wine, are joined with Christ's body and blood. Is it's that um, it's 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 by God's working, it is something divine that's being given to us to make us clean, to strengthen us. Uh, and so we, as we have Christ's presence with us, that glory, that divine presence, is coming to us not to make us afraid, not to destroy us, but to give us life. Right. No, exactly. And this is, you know, so you, you have this as, this, I mean, it's right before the prayer of Thanksgiving, which is then right before the the words of institution, you know, and those those elements, of course, traditionally associated with the consecration. And um, I mean, particularly in our tradition, the words of institution. And you, you look at what we're actually saying. We, we combine this holy, holy, holy from Isaiah 6 with something that comes later when we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is, of course, what they were saying when our Lord came into Jerusalem um, on Palm Sunday. And so, you know, here's this phrase that's talking about the holy God who even the angels have to hide from. Um, and here we are applying that to Jesus because, hey, look, Jesus is showing up. That means that God is showing up. That's the significance of his presence in this bread and wine. And, I mean, really, when you think about that, you, you're saying holy, holy, holy. This is like our way of saying, and I am not worthy for him to be here. I mean, we should be saying with Isaiah, for I am a man of unclean lips, Um I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, there's 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 a fearful tone on all of this. And it's just, as you said, and really that complements the fact that it's for our forgiveness, that those that 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 wafer that you receive, that's like this hot coal from the altar of the temple of heaven because you need it. Indeed, yeah, it's, it's it's what's making us clean, right, and and sending us out uh, for service as God's people. Right. Well, we do need to. That's a fantastic segue, brother. Thank you. Um, <laughs> let's <laughs> look do at what the, I can. <laughs> do the do the commissioning here. So we'll need to go a little bit faster here, but um, I'll, I'll go ahead and read the rest of the chapter, and, and then we'll have some time still to to make some observations here. Um, I mentioned a couple of hymns that I like to like to tease about a little bit, but we'll get there. So let's pick it up at verse eight. So we've read the the, the Sanctus, the Trisagion, the Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, but he's taking away this guilt, um, not just because Isaiah needs it, but also to send him out for a purpose here. So here's verse eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, 
Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie in waste, without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. So it's this, you know, again, it's just kind of every time we uh, get in our heads that, oh, this is exciting and glorious and, and kind of like, you know, the naive sense. Uh, if you keep reading, that gets really quickly de deflated, right? You know, um, I know that I, I feel like a call day at the seminary. There's always this buzz going around. And I think that like all the pastoral candidates are all kind of thinking like, oh, you know, here I am. Send me. Right. Like, well, well, here's your first call, uh, gentlemen. Uh, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Oh, man, how long do I have to preach that message until cities lie in waste without inhabitant? Um, so there there you are. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, wow. This is a very this is a different kind of look than you would typically go to for commissioning, right? Yeah, most most definitely. It's it's uh, kind of going against our, our human judgment of the way things would work out. And it seems to be at variance with uh, God's grace, right? If God's done this to cleanse Isaiah, because if, if we look at Isaiah's calling as a glimpse of what's going to happen for God's people, um, right, right. God does come, God does, uh, Isaiah's convicted, uh, but he is cleansed through through fire, right? The purifying fire. Well, we have that image of fire come and happen here too. Uh, so Isaiah's response, because uh, he was doomed, right? He was he was assured he was doomed, right? But then God issues this this call: uh, Who will go for us? Yeah, who, who am I going to send? And Isaiah can't but uh, say, "Hey, look look at me here. That that here am I is kind of uh, behold me right here, right here, right here." Uh, can I just right. waving his hand on the, the playground? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I mean, it does. It can have that. That can have that sense. I mean, I mean, it, all, it also just. I mean, it's the typical, I guess, response of a of a servant or an inferior in Hebrew. It's just sort of like you know, uh, you know, like my liege, my lord, like you know, I'm at, at your service, right? Just you know, whatever you know. It's like like you said, he can't help but say. It's just like, yeah, I'll do whatever you tell me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and you're going from there, having this message of, okay, this is what you're going to tell the people, or continue telling the people this. And uh, Isaiah's kind of lament of uh, how long is, you know, not not doubting God, but just kind of despair because the the cleansing, the judgment um, that happened kind of in, in little form for Isaiah, going to be happening largely to the people, um, having it stripped away over time with uh, with Israel and Samaria, and then um, you know, even if it's only Jerusalem that's left, uh, even that's going to be ransacked and that, that tenth being burned again. Uh, but right, still exactly. kind of looking ahead to the, the promise. So we've got that connection between what's happened 
in the first five chapters and then what's going to be coming in the rest of the book. Right. Yeah. No. And that that's um, thank you, because that connects the dots historically. Right. So here we are, like you said, 740 B.C. And so um, this is, you know, the the year that Uzziah dies, his son Jotham's going to be taking over. Um, so far, we have two divided, a divided kingdom, two kingdoms of the north and the south. You've got um, Samaria and Jerusalem. Right. Um, but they're both intact so far. But what's going to happen in like, I mean, what, like a decade or something? Um, the Assyrians are going to come and, and Samaria is going to fall. And like it said um, in verse, what was it, 12, the Lord removes people far away. Um, yeah, there's going to be the exile of Samaria. The Assyrians are going to come and just deport the people to you know the ends of the earth. Um, and so what's only going to remain is, like you were saying, in the south, but they're going to come back. Um, it says there, though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again because the Syrians are going to come back um, maybe, you know, not not even 30 years later, like we've been talking about. And they're going to come all the way up to the gates of Jerusalem and they're nearly going to capture the city. They won't. But all of Judah is going to be decimated. Um, so th this is just here. Here he is. He gets this commission from the very beginning. He knows how it's going to end. Um, and it's pretty much the content that we've had in chapters one through five. Um, just the destruction that's going to happen. Uh, so we got with the, the dates there, right? Northern Israel is about 734 uh, BC. Then Samaria, is ten years later or so, 722, and Judah uh, about 700, 701. Um, kind of, right. you just keep seeing these things happen uh, time and again. And um, I think as, as we go through it too, we look at well, what's what's the reaction of the people, even as these things are happening, right? Right, that's right. And, and we talked about that the last few days about how, you know, it's not as if this this destruction and judgment automatically leads to repentance. And there's going to be a lot of desperate attempts to hang on to the status quo, even when everything is falling apart, like the man who doesn't want to leave the building, even when it's on fire. And so uh, there, there's a there's a process and it's just really condemning the spiritual depravity here. Um, and, and it's towards that spiritual condition that, you know, I think we really want to focus in on, on verse, on verse 10 there, you know, what's going on when he says, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears um, and ultimately turn and be healed. So hang on, why, why is Isaiah going to make them dull and heavy and blind to prevent them from being healed? Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that's, I, I would say is part of um, the mystery of the way that God is working here is it's not just the sudden turnaround thing, but it's looking at the the larger picture of uh, where have the people been for the past however many centuries and missing out on their identity is that the the priesthood that they at large have called to be uh, been called to be to the the world, right. Yeah, no, that, that that's right. So, so yeah, Isaiah, like you were saying, is is kind of the he, the stand-in for the whole people in some ways, and that that burning coal is going to be sim very similar to the the burning of the tenth, the burning of that stump. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know. I guess you know someone could someone could read this in I guess a very fatalistic way and say like, hang on a second, so. I don't know, God God is making them unable to repent or something. And so it's like, I mean, that's not fair. It's not really their fault if they don't repent then, right? I mean, you know, which is which is interesting because we I mean we read it in chapter one, um, where where God is like, I mean, hey, come on, we've we've got we've the destruction's bad. 
are you really not going to repent still? And so if you read it against this in chapter six, you, you might be tempted to think like, this just doesn't seem fair. Like God's saying like, come on, when are you going to repent? But then he's saying, Isaiah, make sure they don't repent. Um, and, and the thing that's the most helpful for me as a comparison, that word halfway through 10, uh, lest, lest they see with their eyes, an old kind of old fashioned word again, that same word in Hebrew, which is pen, um, is there back in Genesis 3.22, um, which is where you get this phrase where God says, basically, a good translation is, well, what if, now that they have eaten from the tree of good and evil, what if they go and eat from the tree of life um, and, you know, and thus, you know, live forever and all the rest of it, um, as if there's a problem if they were to do that right now? He doesn't want them to have the tree of life right now because why they're not ready for it yet. He wants us to have the tree of life when we see it in, in revelation, but he's got to do something first. So I, I feel like this is actually kind of similar. Like he wants them to turn and be healed, but not yet. They're not ready for it. So, I mean, we only got a minute left here, but I mean, I, I feel like this is really where we can see ourselves in it that, yeah, that he wants the salvation for us, but he has to do something for us first. Well, and you look at what's the the long game, right? It's if uh, it, it's it's looking at what's the salvation for the the whole of the people, not necessarily the the individuals of the day. Uh, so it's it, it's not about them and their ability, but it's again it's dependent on God's action, which is that seed that's coming, where ultimately that that restoration is going to be taking place. Mm-hmm. Right. So look, looking at that big picture that, you know, the whole point is not just that the, the southern kingdom is spared, right? But that there is this seed and that we get the true Messiah who's born and that that message gets sent out to the ends of the earth. So tying it all together. Thank you very much, brother. Good having you on and we got to have you back on soon. And uh, we might still be in Isaiah, but <laughs> till then, brother. <laughs> My pleasure. Everybody, Pastor Bron Campbell, pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in today. Check out our underwriters, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Till next time, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.